Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Cubic. I want to start by saying this. I think the church has largely or is largely becoming or is impotent because we have allowed people in our midst that don't teach us the truth. They don't challenge us to Christ's likeness. They don't point us to the word. They're not willing to offend us for the sake of righteousness. And I'm not talking about offense for the sake of offense. I'm talking about offense in the form of conviction. If it hurts your feelings, but it comes from the Word of God, it's not your feelings that are hurt. It's your spirit that's hurt. The Christian word for that is conviction. Your feelings are hurt because you have been convicted by the Holy Spirit, by the truth of the Word of God, which means you shouldn't be offended there. You should think that an opportunity to figure out why you're offended there and grow in Christlikeness. Amen? But we haven't done that largely as a church in a, a church in this nation for quite some time. We've determined to make people comfortable over righteous, happy over holy. And Jesus would have had no part of that. And so I want to talk to you today out of Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20. But before I do that, I want to talk to you about context. I've told many of you, those that listen to me when I talk, which I hope is many of you, that no single verse is written exclusive of itself in the Scripture. Verses, chapters, sections are all written together in context to convey, a, to, to, a, to convey some teaching, doctrine, or theology. So they should all work together. Let me explain to you the context of the scripture that we're learning from today before we teach out of that. In 5 verse 20, Matthew 5 verse 20, this is what we're known as the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says this, For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Did you hear that? Pretty declarative. He says, listen, if your righteousness doesn't exceed the people that you have surrounded yourself with to teach you, then you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Because the Pharisees and the teachers were the ones that they were surrounded by. They were teaching them. And he said, if your righteousness isn't greater than theirs, then you're not going to get to heaven. And then he says, he actually teaches the meat of the Sermon on the Mount. And he challenges them to righteousness. He said, these false deceivers, these Pharisees and these teachers, the ones whose righteousness is lacking, have told you such and such and such and such. That's why you hear, they, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye. Or you've heard it said, whatever, whatever. And then they continue on through. But what that really means is, so he says, let me correct the teachings that you've been given. Because the teachings that you've been given are going to cause you to not enter the kingdom of heaven. The people that you've surrounded yourself 
with. Ultimately, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, it says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad, which leads to destruction. There are many who enter through it, for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. There are few who find it. And so he says, these people that are supposed to be teaching you righteousness, whose righteousness is so insignificant that they won't enter the kingdom of heaven, and if you follow them, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven, have broadened the road where it should have been narrow. It was never intended to be broad. It was always supposed to be narrow. The Christian life should cost us something. Christ-likeness, righteousness should cost us something. You know what it costs us? It costs us our will and our flesh. I don't care what you've heard it said. The truth of the Word of God is, and that's what he's teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. And so the context is this. Don't listen to them. They're not righteous. And if you follow them, you're not going to be righteous. This is what they should have been telling you. And in telling you what they have told you, they made a road that was supposed to be narrow, broad because they were more concerned about your comfort and their own platform than they were about your righteousness. So let me tell you something. Beware of the false prophet who comes to you at sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then, you will know them by their fruit. So he says all this stuff, all this context, your righteousness has to exceed their righteousness. Let me tell you what they should have been teaching you so that this road might be narrow enough for you to actually get to heaven. So I need you to not listen to them. Because their fruit doesn't prove that they're worthy of being listened to. And so I want to discuss or answer three questions today. How will we know them? How did they get amongst us? And what do we do with them once we recognize them as a body of believers? So I'm going to start that with the first question, how do they get amongst us? First, there are false prophets amongst us. Jesus himself saying, beware the false prophet, is an inference that there are already false prophets. There were false prophets in his day, there were false prophets before his day, there will be false prophets at the end of days. We see it very clearly as early as Genesis chapter 2 and 3. Genesis chapter 2, 17, God comes to Adam, and essentially, or he doesn't essentially say this, this is what he says. He says, <coughs> excuse me, he says, you can eat anything you want to here. All of this, take dominion over all of it, do with it as you will, except for the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Do not partake of this fruit, for you will surely die. Did you hear me? It's pretty plain, right? Don't eat this tree. Don't eat anything from this tree or you'll die. 
Fast forward to chapter 3. The enemy, the deceiver, the false teacher comes to Eve. What did he say to her? Did he say, look man, I know God said this, but let me tell you, you're really going to enjoy it. That fruit's awful tasty. No, because an obvious lie is easy to avoid. Instead, he says this. Are you sure that's what God said? And so she was deceived. But the enemy's not the only one responsible for her deception. Adam was responsible for her deception too. Because if he would have taught her, because it goes... Warning from God, it's not good that you be alone. Create woman, woman take of the fruit. So Adam would have had to have communicated the word of God properly to her. And because he didn't preach convictionally, or maybe he didn't teach her at all, she was able to be swayed. So false teachers have always been amongst us. And let me tell you, he might not have taught her falsely, he might have just avoided teaching her at all which is to teach falsely. If I don't give you the whole counsel of the Word of God, I'm teaching you falsely. The pieces that you like and the pieces that you don't like. It's not my place to determine what's good for you. It's God's place to determine what's good for you, and He's declared what's good for you in His Word. Amen? So not only were there, but there are and there will be. I want to read Isaiah uh, 30 verses 9 and 10. There's a reason false prophets exist amongst us. And that reason is we give them audience. They make us feel good. This is what it says in 30, 19, and 20. I'm sorry, 39 and 10. For this is a rebellious people. He's talking about the people that Listen to false te- or these, he's talking about us. For this is a rebellious people, false sons, sons who refuse to listen to the instruction of the Lord. They to say to the seer, you must not see visions. And the prophets, you must not prophesy to us what is right. Could you imagine such a thing? Could you imagine going to your pastor? Well, some of y'all can because you've done it. And shame on you. Going to your pastor and saying, I don't like that. You shouldn't teach that. That's offensive. If it's offensive and it came from the Word of God, that's called conviction. You need to deal with it. I don't need to filter my teaching around your emotions. And I won't. Trust me when I tell you And Angela will tell you that for every five minutes I'm up here, I figured this up some years ago, every five minutes I'm up here talking to you, I'd prepare for at least an hour for every five minutes I'm up here. That's not counting prayer time. That's that's just counting research and study and writing. And for you to say to any teacher, that has been commissioned by God, you don't tell us the hard stuff. You need to repent. 
Because it's not a preacher's job to tell you just the easy stuff. It says at the end, speak to us pleasant words. Prophesy illusions. You're all, Pastor Jim, man, you're being tough. I'm not being tough to you. The word of God is being tough to you. But the people don't want to hear the hard stuff. Instead, it says, they speak to us pleasant words. Prophesy illusion. Tell me what I want to hear. Tell me how good I'm doing. Tell me that I know I'm a, I, I know you're a sinner, man. I know you're living together and not married. But you know what? By golly, Jesus loves you anyway. He does. He loves you in spite of your sin. But your sin's going to take you to a, an eternal hell, regardless of whether God loves you or not. That's the truth. That's the truth. Nobody's speaking like they should. Not nobody. Too few are preaching as they should. Because they are amongst us. Paul says it like this in Acts 20. Verses 29 through 31. He says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you. Scott said it a moment ago. Read your Bible slow. I want you to hear Paul's heart. The pastoral heart of Paul. The same Paul that said, I would that I would be cursed that my brethren might, might receive. That was willing to give up his own salvation so that someone else might believe. That's the heart of a pastor. Imagine that heart saying these things. As he's leaving them, he says this. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in amongst you, not sparing the flock. And from among them, your own selves, men, will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert. What a horrible thing. These wolves that Paul's talking about are the wolves that Jesus is talking about. In 1 Peter, we read in 5.8, Be sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The sheep that Paul's talking about, the sheep that Jesus is talking about, is the lion that Peter's talking about. That has one purpose, to draw you away, to isolate you, to make you feel good about you, and kill you. The people that he's talking to no, it's not some weird euphemism to them. It's very likely because of their agricultural society that they knew what a devoured sheep looks like. Guts torn out, dead. This is what the enemy does to us spiritually when we allow those people to speak into our lives that shouldn't be in our lives. When we determine that we're going to listen to pastors that only make us feel good. And there are plenty out there that are willing to do it. But let me tell you, you place yourself in a position of damnation when you listen to them. Beware the false prophet. You have to get close enough to them to pull up their skin and see what's under there. 
which is the next thing I want to talk to you about. How will I know? Because we judge them according to their fruit. We will know that they're false teachers by their fruit. And the first, I want to talk about two kinds of fruit specifically. And I'm sure it's not all inclusive. But it's their character and their ability to align themselves with the Spirit of God. I want to talk about their character first. (coughs) Jesus came to earth, said himself, I did not come to be served, but to serve. This is as good a filter to run any teacher or preacher that you know through. Are they here to serve or be served? Are they like Jesus in regard to service? Are they willing to give up their time? Are they willing to give up their finance? Are they willing to give up their position? Are they willing to give up whatever is necessary to get you to the foot of the cross? Because that's exactly why Jesus came here. To serve. Does their character look like Jesus' character? Do they demand money from you? Do they demand demand labor from you? Do they demand obedience from you that's outside the scripture? Can I tell you, I don't demand any obedience from you. The word of God demands obedience from you. Ask yourself, what does your character look like? If I was to pull your skin back, what would be under there? Would it be wolf's fur or sheep sheep wool? And I know that sounds silly. But we have to know the people that are talking into our life. People ask me all the time, what TV evangelists or preachers do you listen to? I don't listen to any of them. You know why? Because I don't know them. I'm not telling you you shouldn't or can't. But I am telling you, you better know them before you buy into their message. And if their message isn't buying into the Word of God, you ought not listen to them. Because I can fake whatever I want to be up here for 30 minutes. And then behind the platform, behind the stage, I may be be completely different. It's easy to wear sheep's clothing out here. How do you live your life? What does your character say about you? Are you a person of service? These are the questions we should ask those people that are speaking into our life. Because let me tell you, a false teacher, false prophet, does not have the character that they should have. And that character, if you pay attention to it, will be shown to you. Because you can only fake who you are for about six months max. It's a matter of time before who you are falls out of your mouth. That's why Paul told Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 5 he says this verse 22 through 25 do not lay hands upon anyone too hastily and thereby share responsibility for the sins of others keep yourself free from sin let me explain to you what he's saying there 
Don't lay a mantle of ministry on anybody. Don't give anybody an opportunity to be a teacher or a preacher quickly. You better test them. You better make sure they are who they say they are. Because if you don't, you share responsibility for the sin of others. Keep yourself free from sin. Verse 24, the sins of some men are quite evident going before them to judgment. For others, their sins follow after. Likewise, also deeds that are good are quite evident and those which are otherwise cannot be concealed. And so he's saying this. He goes, pay attention to who you're putting your hands on. Now he's giving him instruction as a pastor. Don't raise up any teachers or preachers that you haven't observed. But I, I'm telling you the same thing. Don't raise up any teacher or preacher in your life that you haven't observed. Don't allow somebody to speak into your life that you don't know. And I mean, you need to know them. Because they're dealing with eternal things. And you're listening to eternal things. One way or the other, you're listening to eternal things. What is their character? And if their character is wrong, how will we know? We will know by their fruit. Their alignment to the Holy Spirit. Now, that's, that's a pretty inclusive statement. So let me break that down into three subpoints, if you will, for that. One, if they're aligned with the Holy Spirit and a true prophet and teacher, they will always glorify Christ in their message. Period. Did you hear me? It'll always be about Jesus. It'll never be about the man. If I'm up here preaching to it, instead of being a conduit, I'm a false teacher. If I'm trying to bring people around me, I'm a false teacher and a deceiver. But Pastor Jim, you, you look like every other preacher. I do. I've been to seminary. I know all the religious words. I know how to say it, what to say. I got Christian friends. That's why you better know their character. And do they declare Jesus Christ is Lord above all things? Because to glorify Christ is the primary employee of the Holy Spirit. Did you hear me? John says it like this in 16, 13 through 14. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, that's the Holy Spirit, he will guide you into all truth. How much truth? Not that convenient truth. That all truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me. For he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. So he will take who I am and disclose me to you. If your message, if his message, if their message isn't about getting you to the foot of the cross, Christ and him crucified, about the work that was done on your behalf, they are a false prophet because it can't be about us. It has to be about Jesus. Amen? Second sub-point there is do they align with the word? 
Do they align with the word? This is Holy Spirit inspired and breathed. Did you know that? Which means the Holy Spirit wrote it. If they're not talking from the Spirit, you shouldn't be listening to them. It makes me so angry. And angry is the word I'm going to use on purpose. For someone to stand up and say, Thus saith the Lord. When what they should say is, Thus says Hebrews 7 whatever. Or thus says Acts. Or thus says Deuteronomy. Because if they're not speaking from the Word, or if what they're saying can't be declared and confirmed in the Word, they're a false teacher. Whoa, 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 whoa. This is why so many people are messed up right now. Thus saith the Lord, Trump's going to be president. I haven't said this in any other service. Somebody needs to hear it. Thus saith the Lord, Trump's going to be president. Where's that? Because my Bible, the only thing my Bible tells me really is that God moves the hearts of kings. That he's on the throne, that he's sovereign, that he's in control. And if the false prophet is lifting up anybody but the name of Jesus, they're a false prophet. That's a good test, right? Wait a minute. But I figured Trump would be the president. Then say, you know what? I've done some observations. My common sense dictates. Trends indicate. But you better shut your mouth. Before you say, thus saith the Lord. It's something that, if it's something that isn't spoken of, out of this word. This is the holy word of God, inspired by the spirit of God. And for God to say anything contrary to this word to you, means God ain't talking to you. Because God can't contradict himself, and he's not a liar. He is not a man that he should lie. There's no shifting shadow in him. He didn't change his mind because the United States is in trouble. The United States is going to be in trouble 20 years from now. The United States is going to be in trouble 100 years from now if, in fact, the United States exists between now and then, which is why I tell you, regardless, and I, I tell you this with the heart of a patriot because I've, I've sacrificed a lot, large portion of my life to the service of community and country. America needs to unstitch its flag from its cross and stand on its cross, his cross. I'm warning you, pay attention to the people that say, thus saith the Lord, because thus is what the Lord is saying. Amen? Number three, will he move you towards Christ-likeness? Does that teacher teach Christ-likeness? Does he provoke you, challenge you to Christ-likeness? Is he reading this word in such a way that you do from time to time feel conviction? You know what? I'm not going to convict every person in the room. The words, I'm not going to convict anybody anyway. Let me rephrase that. The words that God uses to speak to the people in this room may not convict every person in this room. But all of us should be challenged by what's said. 
we should be moving more and more towards a position of service, to be like Jesus, to do what Jesus did, to sacrifice ourselves, both spiritually, mentally, and if necessary, physically. Which One of the reasons I'm telling you these hard messages over the last two months is because I want to prepare you for what's coming. There's a, there's a trial coming. And I'm not talking about no small trial. There is a trial coming. The world say, you think trouble's bad right now? The Bible tells us, the Bible tells us that he's going to burn this thing completely to the ground before he renews it. I say, Lord, come quickly. Burn it to the ground as fast as you can because I'm done with this. But we need to be prepared for that. And we're only prepared for that as we sit and through the declaration and the hearing and the administering and the filtering of God's Word through our life move towards Christ-likeness. Whether we like it or not, whether we like what the Word has to say or not, it doesn't matter if we like what the Word has to say or not. We have to listen to the Word. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. Let me, let me just read it to you. Let's go paraphrase it, but let me make sure I just put all these sins out there just in case you're dealing with one. First Corinthians chapter 6, 9 and 10. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Pastor, you can't judge me. Oh, I can. And I'm called to. It says you'll know them by their fruit. How are you going to know if their fruit's bad if you're not able to judge good fruit? How will you know their fruit's good if you're not able to judge bad fruit? How will you know if they're producing what they're supposed to be producing? Just because you take an apple and staple it onto a cherry tree doesn't make that cherry tree an apple tree. It just makes that cherry tree full of rotten stapled apples. But you've got to judge that to be true. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, homosexuals, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, swindlers will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why do I tell you that? I tell you that because if you're dealing with any of those problems, or if you're not dealing with any of those problems, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you're moving towards Christ's likeness, relying on the power of the Holy Spirit to help you crucify that in you, that's something completely different. But if you're completely void of repentance in these areas, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's the tough but necessary word. Because the true teacher and I'm not up here I, I feel like maybe I'm to my own horn I don't mean to I want you to take all the information that I'm giving you and I want you to filter that information through what you know of me and if you find me to be false challenge me and we'll figure it out together I'm not 
I'm not adverse to challenge. No true teacher is. Because the day we start thinking we know it all, we're in trouble. But we've been called to Christ's likeness. And so a true prophet and true teacher will call you to Christ's likeness. How do I judge fruit? By their character. Do they glorify Jesus? Do they declare from the word of God? And do they pursue and chase after and challenge us to Christ's likeness? Regardless of what it does to our sensitivity. <coughs> I don't want to be mean. Angela will tell you that it's against my nature to be contrary. Well, not contrary. I'm contrary because it's fun. But to be confrontational. There was a time in my life when I was very confrontational. I enjoyed confrontation. But the work that God's done in me, I hate confrontation. You know why I'm willing to be confrontational? Because the Word of God confronts. And so I have to set myself aside and say, this is the truth, whether you like me or not. I've been asked, don't you think that'll stop the slow of your church? I said, no. It'll stop the population, slow the population. But it'll never slow the growth of the church. It'll always grow the church. There may be less people in the building, but the church will grow. If you're convictional, if you're true. Now the Bible asks, or I told you, the last question I wanted to answer for you is what to do with them once we've identified their fruit. And the answer to that question is pretty simple. Call them out and cast them out. Call them out and cast them out. I want to say call them out first. Because I believe we should always try to get somebody to the cross before we try to nail them to it. There's a story in Galatians, it's not a story, it's history. In Galatians chapter 2 where Paul confronts Peter to his face is what it says. Now we're talking about Paul, the one that didn't spend three and a half years with Jesus. Confronted Peter, the one who did spend three and a half years with Jesus. Because he knew that Peter's teaching was wrong. So he went up to him, he said, I confronted him to his face. And you can go read that, but essentially this is what he was doing. He was eating with the circumcised, telling the uncircumcised that in order to receive grace, they had to add circumcision to it. So they were taking the gospel, he was taking the gospel and adding circumcision to it. So he's saying, you've got to do that plus one of these Jewish traditions. Which of course is a false gospel. Which made him a false prophet and a false teacher. And Paul, being who Paul was, said, I confronted him to his face. Because not only was he being misled, but he was, according to that passage, if you'll read it, he was misleading others and other people were following him. But you know what I know? I know he received that correction. Because Paul took him to the cross instead of hammering him to it. He received that correction. It doesn't say that in the text. But if you'll look at the, the biblical timeline, First and Second Peter were written plus 20 years past this point. 
which means that 20 years later, Peter wrote First and Second Peter, and it became canonized in the Word of God, which means he had to have gotten it right. He had to have received that correction. Can, you, can I tell you that some people teach falsely because maybe their tradition didn't teach them properly because they're ignorant to the truth, because they don't know. Love them first. Give them opportunity first. Declare the truth to them first. But if they still refuse, call them out or cast them out. That means remove them from your assembly in your life. That's a hard word because we want to love everybody. We, I just want to redeem them. You can't redeem them. It's not your job to redeem them. It's Jesus' job to redeem them. And sometimes you've got to cast people out so that the only thing they have to hold on to is the Holy Spirit and the truth so that they may come to a revelation of that truth. We do more harm to people that God is trying to fix by enabling their problem when God tells us to let them go. Turn them away. I've had this conversation. It's not fun. You know what? I feel like I've done everything I can. You're not listening. You're not adhering to the word of God, and so I'm going to turn you over to the Holy Spirit. And we fell out of communion together. But as of yet, well, that's not true. There's still a couple out there. But most of them repented and came back and are healthy today because somebody was willing to cast them out. This isn't just the right thing to do. It's the responsible biblical thing to do according to First John or Second John. Second John 7 through 11 says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the, and the antichrist. He says, there's all kinds of people out there going to tell you something other than the truth. Watch yourselves, which is to say, beware the false prophet, that you do not lose what you have accomplished but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring his teaching, do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting. Did you see how very specific that verbiage is? Do not receive him into your house and do not even give him a greeting. If it was modern day, this is what would happen. Or this is what should happen. Somebody's determined to be a false prophet or a false teacher, take their picture before they leave the last time. Photocopy about 100 copies of it and hand it to every greeter in a building. If he comes in, we're not to greet him. He's not supposed to be here. Turn him away from here. Because the same way he came in, he'll come in again if he hasn't repented. Do you hear what I'm saying? That's a hard word. That's what God says. That's what the Word of God says. But not only does it say that, but it says this, for the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. And so just to spend time in fellowship with them is to be guilty of their sin. Complacency towards their sin is participation in their sin. And you'll be condemned for it. Amen? Let me get back to context. I've run a little over. But let me get back to context real quick. We've read through 20. 
God's very specific about what he'll do to the false teacher. I've told you what we should do to the false teacher. But the question is why? Why should we do such a thing? 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of the Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Let me run this chain of context all the way back down. Stop listening to them because their righteousness isn't such that you're going to end up in heaven. Let me declare what the word really means. Let me narrow the road that they have broadened. Beware the false prophet. Judge them by their fruit. Because at the end of your life, if you don't, you're going to be standing before me in front of my throne arguing with me that you're good because you truly think that you're good because of the teachings that you followed. And I'm going to have to tell you, I'm sorry, you're not good. It doesn't matter what teachings you followed. They were wrong. Why do I tell you these hard truths? Because I'm responsible for your soul. I'm accountable for your soul. You're responsible to it. The thing that scares me the most, and I I think I said it in the second service, not this one. The thing that bothers me, the thing that keeps me trembling in regards to preaching and teaching the Word of God is this idea. Me standing at the throne of God and God looking at me and saying, well done, good and faithful servant. And you would think, why would you be mad about that? Yeah, I'd be excited about that. Because that's not how I see it finishing. If I'm a false teacher. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. And I start to bounce. I'm excited. And he says, hold on a second. Before you go. See that guy standing over there? He's not in the same line that you're in. But he was in line at your building every Sunday. You didn't tell him the truth, and now he's not going to spend eternity here because you were unwilling to tell him the truth for fear of hurting his feelings. Explain that to me. He's personally accountable for his soul, but I'm, or responsible for his soul, but I'm still accountable to it. I still have to make an account for the truth they were told or not told. Let us be a people that are about the truth. Amen. So that at the end of our life, we might all hear, well done, good and faithful servant. 